Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Almost Famous. In series one of the podcast, I met other people who grew up with famous family members and discussed how it affected their journeys through life. In series two, I'm getting a more direct insight into fame by meeting people who've experienced it themselves and asking how it has changed their own lives as well as the lives of those around them. Today, we have a dream guest of mine, as not only did he become famous himself as an international footballer, but his father was also a famous England footballer too. So basically the perfect guest for what Almost Famous is all about. Chatting to me today is former Manchester City, Chelsea and England footballer Sean Wright Phillips. Sean began his football career at Nottingham Forest before being picked up by Manchester City. While at City, he won the Young Player of the Year award four years in succession. In 2005, Sean joined Chelsea for a reported £21 million and played over 100 times for the club. Sean went on to rejoin Man City and play for Queen's Park Rangers and New York Red Bulls before retiring having made over 400 senior club appearances and winning 36 caps for England, scoring six goals. Sean's father is former Crystal Palace, Arsenal and England striker and now television and radio personality Ian Wright. Ian began his professional career at Crystal Palace. Then in 1991, he made the move across London to Arsenal for two and a half million pounds, at the time a club record fee. He went on to score 185 goals for the club and is Arsenal's second highest scorer of all time behind Thierry Henry and he scored nine goals in 33 games for England. So let's meet Ian Sun and today's almost famous guest, Sean Wright Phillips. Sean, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Thank you so much for, uh, I'm really well. Thank you so much for listening to that long intro. Just before we uh, get into uh, the chat, uh, I need to say, guys, uh, we're doing this from the podcast lounge at Factory Studios. Sean, you've already said to me, it's a nice little place, isn't it? It's a great little setup. If I was doing a bod- podcast, I'd do it myself. Well, maybe you can do it here yourself, exactly. And guys, if you're listening and you're thinking you want to do a podcast, do get in contact with Factory. Their website is factory.uk.com. Uh, Sean, the first question I like to ask people, did I do okay with your intro? Do you think, uh, did I miss anything out in terms of your intro that you can remember? Um, no, I couldn't have done it any better, if I'm honest lovely guest and what about your dad do you think he'd be okay I, I I mean obviously he played for some other clubs he played for West Ham I remember as well and Celtic for a bit and Burnley and Burnley but the most important one I think uh, one's uh, Arsenal and then starting his career at Crystal Palace yeah most definitely sweet so um, I wonder uh because as I've mentioned to you uh, in the first series, we uh, interviewed people who are related to uh, famous people and have chosen to follow them into a, a similar career. You've, you're the perfect example of that. I wonder, um, has it been hard over the, the course of your life to discuss your father's role uh, in your career because he was a footballer as well? Um, no, not really. Growing up, it, it was more difficult from the outside perspective. Um, there was always people asking me questions. Are you going to follow in these footsteps? Steps? Are there pressures on you of living up to the expectation? But just the way I was brought up by my mum and my dad is you are your father's son, but at the end of the day, you still create your own path. So I kind of managed to kind of shelter myself or can you say compartmentalization mm. and put it in a place where I didn't really think about it too much. I always just believed that I'm playing football. I'm a completely playing in a completely different position and I'm going to create myself in a p- position where nobody refers me to, oh, he's playing or he's taking after the way his dad went. I always wanted to become my own person and I think my brother my brother did the same thing, really. And um, Yeah, because your brother's Bradley... Right, Phillips. Yes, he's still correct. playing. Is he still playing in America? At the yes, moment? he's at LAFC right now. But um, as a kid, it, there's loads of ways it could could affect you. But um, luckily, we we was protected in a way that it worked for us. And I've always just believed in you create your own footsteps, really. And 
that's the way it has to be done. And when you were growing up, uh, I wonder, did it feel to you like you were always going to be a footballer? It was it was just the, the the thing you were most passionate about and most talented at, or um, did the pressure of of your dad having been a footballer as well make you ever think I should probably try and do something else? No, and um, it was when it was only really until I got to. Um, Second year in junior in primary school, um, when you're in like your last three, four years before you go to secondary school, but that I kind of realised um, that I might have half a chance, to be honest with you. And it, it's a funny story because the um, the headmaster at the time, Mr. Ajeski, um, kind of didn't ban me, but kind of said to me, if I do not play for the mixed netball team, <laughs> then I'm not allowed to play for the school football team against <laughs> other schools. So it was like, I was like, hmm. Why if, was he if, so desperate for you to play netball? <laughs> it was weird because it it did benefit me, but he always said, no, it'll be good for you like to be aware of what's around you and sometimes you won't have to look. You'll just know that they're coming from the left or the right. So, But at the time, I was young, naive, yeah. and to a point, very immature. So we always saw netball from South London as a woman's sport. <laughs> so I was a bit like... So do you push back mm. against it and, and, and say you didn't want to or because you wanted to play football so much you had to go with it? That's pretty much the way it went. I just wanted to play football so much that I went with it. And then as as I've got older, um, I realised that there's some positions that in a game that I've got out of that sometimes I should never have really have found a way out. But just off the back of little things that I feel like I learned, it's hard to say, but from netball no, as being able to just like know that somebody's coming from the left straight away and be able to turn to the right. Um, I think it, it did actually benefit me. So a lot of thanks has to go to my headmaster, I think, in, in that aspect. But only then I realised I do have half a chance. And it kind of just went on from then. That's actually an amazing story because I remember, uh, I'm a big Spurs fan. So obviously I know a lot about the Spurs players from down the years. But I remember um, hearing about how one of Gareth Bale's teachers basically banned him from using his left foot whilst he was playing at school because he was so good that he thought, well, A, it'll give some of the other players a chance to not look quite as, you know, to look better, but also it will improve his right foot to degree. And so it just shows how much influence teachers at that young age can really have. Um, yeah, totally. And um, of course, with some players, it can go the other way, but it depends as a player how much you actually want that dream to come true and how you're going to use the advice and stuff that he's giving you to take into what you're actually doing, whether it may be football, basketball, cricket, anything it could be. But um, I luckily took it the right way and used the tools that he gave me. And in terms of, I'm intrigued to know, because in terms of um, your dad's influence, I wonder, I feel like to some degree, all dads when they're watching their sons play sport are... um, are probably e- going to go one of two ways. Either be really encouraging and say, you're brilliant, you're the best, or go the other way and give you a load of shit for not playing well enough. But when your dad's actually a professional footballer himself and you're playing football in front of him, did you, if he told you you had a game, did you like, uh, a good game, sorry, did you really believe that he was just being totally honest? Um, you all know what my dad's like. He just says the way he feels. He says so it as it is, yeah. He, he wouldn't really lie about it. But the first game he came to watch me at primary school was, um, <laughs> for, for me, was um, I got a bit of a, not a telling off, but he was kind of telling me, but I was like, I think I was like eight, nine, maybe even ten, and... Um, I didn't pass the ball, basically. I just kept... <laughs> I was so greedy back then. And he used to say to me, like, you got to pass to your teammates. I'm like, yeah, but they don't pass me the ball back. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I just always believed when I was young, I could just do it on my own. And obviously, the mature and the older I got, yeah. it become to unravel. But ironically, he was quite a greedy... Stri- I mean, obviously, a brilliant, brilliant finisher and a great striker, but single-minded... I think it's fair to say. So maybe some of that rubbed off on you as well, you know, wanting to do it all yourself, similar kind of thing. Um, Yeah, I could say so, but not from where I was getting the ball from. I was kind of just, yeah, dribbling from so deep. And um, it it opened my eyes a little bit because there's times you can get caught and you can see the goal from it. So um, the lesson was well learned. Do you have a... um, I could talk to you about football all day, but uh, to get back onto kind of the format of the show, do you have a... um, a, a, a memory of when you first had the concept that your dad was like famous rather than just being like the other dads who were picking up their kids from school or whatever. 
King and Allah. When I, when I was actually growing up and there was, I never used to think football was real. I used to think it was acting as a kid. Right. Like it was only until we started going to the games and I was old enough to like understand. And then it was like, wow, he's actually famous. <laughs> Hopefully one day... I can be there, but um, so the for, inspirational. Like as soon as you started to understand it, you were like, "I want a piece of that." Yeah, definitely. It would he, he the way he played with his passion among his teammates, and then watching other players that were playing at the same time as I was growing up. You 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 kind of want a piece of it, and I didn't get to start playing like Sunday league football until I was like twelve, thirteen. So I had like a short gap to grab the eyes of say your pre- professional football clubs and. Luckily, I had the um, the right scout was there at the right time that helped me get to Nottingham Forest. Right. And um, did you feel any um, negativity when you were growing up from either your peers, your, your people you went to school with, or other people who were looking to get scouted, for instance, with them potentially thinking, oh, Sean's going to get a leg up because his dad's a footballer as well? Um, totally. Um, it's, it, it was expected. People always thought that, but... He never actually ever tried to do that for us. Not that he didn't want to. Mm. He he just knew it, in football it doesn't always work like that. You you have to work hard just like in any other jobs and you have to create your own chances and opportunities. And just because we have the name, it doesn't mean we should get a position in front of somebody else. We we Me and my brother both had to earn that right. Yeah. And we took it to a level which was ridiculous. My mum used to send us to the shop to get like milk and bread. The shop was maybe five minute walk me and my brother wouldn't get back for like an hour because we had taken a football with us and figured out a game that we could play on the way to the shop so we we both put the work in to get to where we got to yeah that's amazing i've um read a lot about uh ian's career and also listened to that desert island discs he did recently did you hear that he did that i haven't seen it yet but i've oh, heard a lot it's incredibly about it. emotional episode um but he obviously it's well known with uh, your dad that he came into football late and uh you know it was kind of his last chance he'd had lots of trials and been turned down and stuff like that and you the way you've just talked about him shows what i think is really good parenting like making sure that you know it's not just on the back of his name i'm now intrigued because your son is at manchester city's academy isn't he yes but he's on loan at blackburn rovers at okay the so he's on loan at blackburn i'm intrigued to know how you took what you learned from your dad's parenting through to your own parenting with your son getting into football as well um it it was strange to see him because he, as growing up, he wouldn't watch the game. Like, I'd be watching it. He would be playing his computer. He okay. It's only really until 13, 14 where he would actually sit down and watch a full full game of football. But as for playing it and stuff like that, he's always loved it. But I just never put no pressure on him. I said, son, no matter what you do in life, I'm always going to be proud of you. I said, if if it's football you want to do then you have to show people that's the type of player and that's the game you want to do. So he was always playing like locally Sunday league. He had like a few sniffs where he was training with Manchester United and in the, like the schoolboys mm-hmm. of excellence, nothing too serious. Mm-hmm. And the same with City. But um, I've always just, there's one thing I've just realised in football that this raw talent that you can't teach, everything else is pretty much teachable. So... I kind of kept him away from the structured football for as long as I possibly could. And um, he took the steps. But when he did sign for City, because of they had been there for so long, mm-hmm. they were in front of him. So he had to work even harder. Yeah, And he had to learn the way they play. And he did it. And now he's where he is. And I've said to him again, this is where the real work starts now. Now you have to show people that you're ready to play the man's game. It's, it's not a kid's game anymore. And what do you think it was about you uh, and your brother, Bradley, that um, allowed you, like, inside yourselves? Like, what, what have you got inside yourselves in terms of motivation and passion? Where does it come from to allow you to to get through what I think are basically um, difficulties? I think having a family name that you have to live up to, as you've already mentioned, is a difficulty. What is it that, where do you think it comes from that you have that motivation to get past that and really strive, both of you, to make it in the professional game? Well, mum and dad's always just basically said, like, if you want something hard enough, you, you'll push through all the barriers. Now, I was 15, 16 at Nottingham Forest when when I got released from being too small, not good enough. Um, that could have gone either way for me. I decided to show them, basically, that not only do I continuously play the game with a smile on my face and enjoy it, 
but I'm going to show you that doesn't matter how small you are, if you've got the desire to make it, you, you, you can push yourself through to that barrier. So did they literally, they said to you, we're not going to take you on because, you, because of your, phys your physical stature? And yeah, and I wasn't good enough. But did they actually say that? Why? Yeah. Really? Yeah. So how did that feel? Like, Do you remember yeah. the day? You must yeah, it was it. disheartening. I was, a, I was only young then, and I was on the way back down from, from Nottingham at the time that which they had said that we're most probably going to sign him. And then on the way back down on the train, we had a phone call. And then that's when I've got told, basically. So as you do, you, it's an emotional time. I started crying. Mom, my mum always just said to me, don't worry about it. There'll be other opportunities. And then within 48 hours, the same scout, Kieran Rafferty, that brought me to Forest, mm -hmm. said City have had a look at you and they would like to have you for a few games on trial. And I went to a few games and, and after that, they just signed me. And then the next thing I know, I was, a year later, I was signing pro. Yeah. And then after that, I was in the reserves. And it then pretty much it's like a blur. It happened so quickly when I signed for City, to be honest, under Joe Rowe. And you're obviously your academy coach is Frankie Barnell and Alex Gibson. Um, they they got me to where I needed to get to to make the next step. Have you ever seen uh, or bumped into or, or seen the people who let you go from Nottingham Forest <laughs> since or had or heard any discussions about... You know, how, they must regret that so much. Surely. Um, it was it was quite weird actually because when I when Robbie Fowler and Steve McManaman was at Man City, yeah, one of the guys that played a part in that, Steve Wigley, um, the other one was Paul Harpy, was at Portsmouth, I think it was at the time. Yeah. But Steve Wiggs happened to be the assistant coach at Man City while I was there. After I had obviously already been established and had a few caps and um, Robbie Fowler and Steve Mack were like <laughs> always joking and messing around. So they used to always pull his leg and say, you must be devastated. Huh? You left him, you let him go for being too small and not good enough. Yeah. And then City selling for 21 million. Um, how's your head sort of thing? So there was always jokes and stuff about it. But it's football. You, it's, it's an opinionated game at the end of the day. And just because Nottingham Forest say that doesn't mean everybody else think the same thing. So yeah. I just had to kind of dust myself off and get on with it. But for me, that that lesson was important. It, it taught me a lot because I, know, I knew from then that to get to where I need to get to, I'm going to have to be mentally strong and be able to deal with setbacks or things not going my way. So I think it put me in the right position to continuously enjoy the game even if things wasn't going the way you expected them to go. Yeah, that's the thick skin that you need to get through the what is in reality a, a harsh industry isn't it uh, so many knockbacks so many times you're going to get kind of kicked down you have to have that thick skin to keep getting back up um you mentioned there um the 21 million pounds i'm interested because your dad at the time uh when he went from palace to arsenal went for a club record fee two and a half million pounds and then you uh were transferred for a huge amount of money at that that time but a few times did he give you advice on how to deal with the pressures of of going for an enormous fee the the idea that um you know, it, it does it does lead to an expectation of of having to hit the round uh, the ground running quickly and stuff like that. Um, no, not really. I think like if if you know me, you'll know I'm quite laid back, if not a bit too much laid back. If I'm honest, but um, you seem very laid back in the room, <laughs> yeah, Sean. That's for sure. But, but um, no, um, I just the price tag. I couldn't. Don't really care about. It. I was gonna swear then. No, you can swear. You can, you can swear. <laughs> yeah, at the time I didn't really care about it. It wasn't what I was interested in. Like to start with, when it initially happened, I didn't actually want to leave City, but I had to. Otherwise, the club would have struggled in finance situations. So it happens, and it was a, it was a different iteration of Man City. It was before. Yeah, of the, course. The Shake, Shake Mansour took yeah. over. Yeah. So me just going, I just knew like I'm going. I'm, I knew a few people there. I'm just gonna. Do try and do the same thing I did at City. Always give a hundred and ten percent, basically, mm. and and that's what I went there with the attitude to do. And hopefully, I thought um, if I can do as well as I did at City, then it it will be fine. So I never really looked at the price tag. I just let everybody outside of the game talk about that because, it, as we know in England, that's what people do. Like yeah. before a player even starts playing, just because of the price tag, they want to 
add bundles of an extra pressure on him when it's not actually needed. Like, he didn't decide that price tag. That's between the two clubs. That has nothing to do with the player whatsoever. That, to me, feels like something that you're capable of doing. So, of uh, like you said earlier, compartmentalising what is an external pressure and allowing yourself to be just laid back and in the moment. That's not something that all footballers, I, d- I don't think, have been capable of. It's quite impressive. Um, yeah, I, I can totally agree with it, but it's like if if I sat there thinking about the price, then my focus ain't on the goals that I'm meant to be focusing on. Like now I'm thinking about, oh, people are thinking, oh, he's gone for 21 million, I have to do this, I have to do that. No, it's, it's irrelevant. I know what I have to do. I have to go there, give 110%, I have to work hard, I have to entertain I have to try and score goals and make a difference in games whether I start or come on sub and that's just the way I looked at it and the price tag doesn't can't really affect that mm. whether it's a good thing or a bad thing the price tag has nothing to do with that when I walk on the pitch it's just everybody else saying oh that's the guy they bought for 21 million whereas I'm like okay I'm playing for Chelsea now let's do this yeah. sort of thing If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. And um, we talked about Bradley, your brother, a bit. How did it work with you two, um, you know, because this is the Almost Famous podcast, so, uh, you know, you're both obviously sons of a famous footballer and you're both getting into the industry. How did it work between the two of you kind of... um, helping each other to get better as footballers, both on the pitch, but also mentally striving to to become better and better? Um, I think the part that helped us most was growing up. Um, where we lived in South London in a place called Broccoli, there was always, like, areas that we could play to a point where it was so weird. Like, we had, like, in our block of flats, we grew up in Kentwell Close, and it had, like, a patch of grass in it but it just happened to have four trees to that end, that end in a perfect like yeah. line to for us to use as goals. There were trees around, but there was two set up perfectly. So we would play make matches there. Then on the other side, if we was playing with some other kids, we would play 
um, FA knockouts, mm-hmm. and that was a bigger patch of grass. So we, we, to a degree, until we obviously signed with proper club, we was pretty much self-taught. Like, we, we learned to dribble by just playing FA because it was always one versus the rest. So you yeah. basically had to try and beat as many people as you are to either get a shot off or score. So um, I've always said that some of the kids now, they don't realise how lucky they are to be getting taught properly and a proper way to play football from such a young age. Do you mean like at academies and stuff? Yeah, they start so young now, whereas yeah. before they wasn't there. But but is there a... Sorry to interrupt, but I wonder if... Is there also a flip side to that where if they're going into such great facilities so early and and kind of being, you know, regularly told how good they are and it's, it's slightly more of a, a filtered version of football, are they losing some, you know, what you're talking about, you know, playing on the bit of grass with all your mates all the time and taking a ball if you're just going down the street to get some milk or whatever. That's just like more like instinctive learning how to play football from just doing it so often, all hours of all days and stuff like that. Is is there some of that being lost in modern footballers, do you think? Um, yeah, I think so, because, um, like I said, it goes back to when I was talking about raw ability. Like, it, For example, if you go to, say, like a Barcelona, from the academy that's taught to play the Barcelona way, yeah. it's only like the exceptional talents, like your Messi's and your stuff like that, mm-hmm. that you see that come that will just dribble and take on everyone. Normally you see it's just pass, move, pass, move. Whereas um, we didn't have that option. So we had to just improvise. And even if we didn't have trees, we would just use two bikes and two po- as the two posts. So it, it just teaches you. But at the same time, some of the kids to this day, like you said, are spoiled. They do lose the hunger because they get everything too soon. Mm. Like, where are their next steps? Like, some of the kids are millionaires before they've even played a first-team game. Like, yeah. and... It, the desire in them may not be the same depending on the player. Do they want to be a professional or are they playing football just because of the money? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Or the lifestyle. So it, it is a hard one, but I think like your players like Jaden Sancho and Raheem Sterling are the ones that like young kids should look up. Like Raheem Sterling is is had so much scrutiny on and off the pitch, but yet he still becomes to be a, a role model and an example for the young kids. And then you've got Jaden Sancho that, was to a degree behind Raheem Sterling at Man City, mm-hmm. but he believed in himself and he went on loan and he's established himself and he's created a different footpath for himself. And now he's possibly up there with one of the most expensive wingers in yeah. the world at no, the minute. He'll, he'll get a Do you huge know what move, I mean? Yeah. So it, it's, it's great to see them two doing so well and playing the way they're playing. The key to those stories, and including the stories of yourself, is... Uh, is it's about being able to be strong enough to choose your own path a little bit. So you talked obviously about the path of trying, making sure you didn't use your name and your dad making sure you didn't use your name and having to kind of fight through those barriers. Jaden Sancho is another great example of it. He was at Man City's academy. He could have sat there, waited and waited and waited and played no first team games, but now he's gone to Dortmund and he's an England international. Like you said, he'll probably get a, a huge move. Um, I'm intrigued to ask because I feel like this is something that maybe a lot of fans wonder about. Um, you talked about you and your brother playing in that little bit of grass and you obviously both made it as professional footballers. How many others of those people that you would play with there made it into football, if any? Um, there was actually um, Dixon or two. Yeah. Um, was was one of the one. And we played Sunday League football together. Then we was in the academy at Man City together. Mm-hmm. So um, Dixon or two, who is still a good friend of mine. Um, that seems like quite a it. high percent. Do you know what I mean? Because people always talk about in football, oh, you know, your chances of making it, even if you're in an academy, are like, you know, 5%, 10%, if that. But to have so much talent in that little small area of broccoli seems like pretty a pretty high percentage. Three of you coming out of that little area. Um, yeah, um, D- D- the only thing with Dixon was um, from not from Broccoli. He was from Peckham, but we played in the same Sunday league team right, together, right, right. so we we trained together. But there there is a lot of talent out there with grassroots, but um, it's just how do you find them? How do you spot them? Do you know what I mean? Football, mm. the football systems changed before. There would be like loads of scouts that would turn out to Sunday league games, but now that's changed because the academies have gone so younger. They either buy them in or they're already in the system so there's no reason for them to go elsewhere basically yeah um you talked a little bit earlier about uh about 
when you were a bit younger and you showed some elements of immaturity on the pitch and stuff. And I've having seen your dad talk a lot about when he was young, he said he was quite petulant on the pitch as well. Was that something that you think came like you got off your dad and then you both matured through it and he helped you do, you know, learn from his mistakes and stuff? I always played, I wouldn't say so much better, but more for the team when my dad wasn't watching. Really? Yeah. When huh. he was watching, I always felt like he's in a, he's a professional. I need to impress. Right. So then I start trying to do everything on my own, which it should have been the opposite. But um, I, he, he spoke to me about that and I learned that. And then times after that, when he did come and watch, I was just more natural with it. That's so fascinating because that seems to me like a natural thing that you would do maybe if there were scouts on the sidelines. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I need to impress. I need to impress to try and get up to the next level on the ladder. But the fact that it's your own dad that you felt, you, you know, you can cut away the fact that he's your dad, and you, but you're thinking, because he is a professional footballer, I need to impress him. That's a really interesting mindset, I think. Yeah, um, that was part of, like, my naivety. I've done it the wrong way around then, and yeah. obviously he's explained it, but it used to be fun because there was things when, we, when me and my brother used to go and stay at his, his house when he had a game after a game and stuff. Um, he would lock us in the garden to do kick-ups. He said, unless we did like 50 kick-ups, <laughs> we wasn't allowed like back in the house. So me and my brother would be out there <laughs> and you, trying to get these kick-ups done. Do you think that was him genuinely trying to improve your skills or did he just not want you in the house for um, half an hour? <laughs> I think it was obviously he was trying to improve our skills, but he's a practical joker. So to him, that, that would have been funny. And yeah. he would have just been sat there just chilling, watching TV, waiting for us <laughs> to do it. But um, it was cool. And it, it taught us in a way how to manipulate the football. Yeah. Um, and then when you and Bradley both got into the professional ranks, how did it work in terms of your dad giving you feedback after games then? Did he stay out of it like he did a bit when you were younger or would he get more involved? Um, it, he would be involved, but it would it would be more of a conversation. He'd be like, if I missed a chance, he'd be like, what, what did you think of when you was doing that? Yeah. I would explain like my reasonings and he'd say, what about this option? And then I'd be like, I did think of that option, but at the time I didn't see it as a possible way to do it. Mm -hmm. But I, I would always say, but that is a forwards thinking. I was a winger, yeah. so... And in like we used to just basically have conversations like that where he understood what I was saying and I understood what he was saying. But my brother, as you can see, he's just a natural goal scorer. Yeah. He, he has that side He's to breaking him. records in the MLS, isn't he? Yes, With correct. his goal scoring. Amazing. Um, I think it's kind of natural uh, to, or certainly this is how, what I'm like, when people are giving me feedback on things, or uh, especially if it's family, my natural instinct is to, basically be like fuck you get defensive <laughs> uh, uh, get defensive exactly <laughs> yeah. um was that something you feel like you had um, to fight through uh, or did you just think well he has been there and done it so i should probably at least well you even actually to be fair you already said that you would explain to him, well i thought about that and then i went another way that shows kind of strength of character um that's one thing i i try i try to learn through my career is when somebody has an opinion not to be defensive about it because whether they're saying it in a negative way, that might be that person or somebody's way of trying to help you correct or become better at it. Of course, sometimes I'm like, well, why didn't you be in that position and do it then? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But then at the same time, that's me not taking some possible good advice. So whether it's good or not, that would be down to how I deem it to. But I would always try and accept what people were saying. Yeah, it sounds like you're a stronger and better person than me because what I tend to do is I'll listen to it and I'll go, no, and then I'll move away for five minutes and go, actually, that might have been a good idea. I should probably <laughs> take it on board. Um, uh, I'm just going to move uh, in a second. I'm going to move on from the kind of uh, your your dad being uh, part of your football career into what it was like when you suddenly became well-known and in the public eye. I just wanted to ask, like, if you were given a chance, uh, in hindsight, to have your whole life but without a famous father... Like you'd still have your dad, you'd have your whole career and your whole life, but would you swap it? Would you swap out? Like if you had the chance because of the pressures or the negativity, or would you keep everything exactly how it was? I think I'd keep everything exactly how it is right now. Um, for me, as much as there were 
pressures that people assume that would affect me, I think they're the sort of things that's made me the person I am today. And I don't think I would change that. Yeah. So a question I always ask every guest that we have on now for the second series, because it's about fame, is are you famous? Do you think you're famous? And and if so, because I think you definitely are, what do you think fame is, like in terms of how does it affect your daily life? Um, I wouldn't say I'm famous, <laughs> by the way. To me, I'm just just the same as everybody else. But um, if you're talking about what is famous, I'll just say it's when people acknowledge who you are more than anything. Mm -hmm. um, Dad always said to me, like, if people don't acknowledge or don't know you, then clearly you haven't done well in what you was doing. So yeah. um, I try to give as much time to people uh, as I can. Sometimes it, it is difficult because of you might be doing something with family or you might have your little ones with you or you're just trying to enjoy a catch-up with your friends. But as I try to give as much time to people as I possibly can. And footballers, obviously, uh, in the modern day, footballers are um, blessed with getting all the trappings of uh, the financial benefits of being a footballer. I wonder if when you were growing up and you were coming through the ranks uh, as a footballer, were you striving to become a professional purely because you wanted to succeed? Or was there any element of you was like, but I'd also quite like to have that nice car and a nice house and stuff like that? No, I was always brought up just I, to enjoy the football. Mm -hmm. Dad always said, don't care about the money if it comes it, it will come to you but other than that never play it for for play the game for that reason and I never have done and I don't think I ever ever will do and I don't think my son will and I don't think my brother does of course it's nice to have and it, it's a bonus but with that also comes a lot of problems it's not just as cut and dry as such oh, as problems such as you have loads of situations obviously people don't know you get taxed like half of it so you yeah. don't actually get what they're saying you're earning for a start mm. and then you've got then you have then you're starting to live a life oh is this person really my friend or is he just my friend because of who i am and what i'm earning and what i can get so there's a lot that comes with it so it, it could be both positive and negative. So in terms of what you just mentioned about, it's a trust thing, about who can you trust to, to uh, in terms of your personal relationships, like you said, are, are they my friend because of who I am? But we've talked to a lot of our guests about that. And what's interesting with you is that must have been something that you must have had inside you even when you were young because you have to think, are they just wanting to be my friend because who my who my dad is as well? And then you've uh, had that when you've become a successful footballer as well is that do you think you've had any kind of difficulties with trusting people from such a young age even because of that um i i feel like yeah i have i have had a lot of difficulties in trusting people especially opening up to people would be the better word for me to use um i used to be i've got better now but i used to be a very very closed book which isn't good for a friendship or even a relationship yeah. so um I've had a lot of hard lessons, but I feel like even now I'm here, the person I am, and I still try to be happy every day and, like I said, give as much time to people and help as many kids as I possibly can. Brilliant. And what what do you think it is that's uh, allowed you to open up and become less of a closed book then? Just maturity or have you kind of so, uh, um, seeked out other ways of dealing with it? I think it'll laugh because it's since I moved to America, basically, because I could just be out anywhere and they don't know who I am. And you, I don't know if you've been to America, but they like to talk. Even if they don't <laughs> know you, they'll be like, hi, how's your day? And I'll be like, first of all, I'd look and I was like, and now I've just got used to just speaking and opening up and just having conversations yeah. with people. And I think that that's helped me lower my trust a bit to speak and try and open up. So I wonder then, when you first got to America and people would just try and talk to you because they're Americans, was your instinct because of your experience, your instinct was, oh, they must know who I am and I just, I don't want to, you know, I just want to be, have my own life and whatever. And then you realise soon after actually, they don't realise who you are because they're Americans and most of them don't care about football. And so that's what freed you up. Um, yeah, I, I think that would be the right way to put it. Like it just, it was, just, it's just a breath of fresh air, like sometimes, because I still live there, that a lot of people are just genuine. Like they genuinely just saying hello, nothing else to it nothing else going with it whereas growing up in England when I was playing like sometimes people would hang out and I don't mind them hanging out if I'm out I'd gladly offer you a drink and we'll have a chat but 
what's the real reason you're here yeah. sort of thing, do you know what I mean? I never actually knew. And you only find out when you retire the ones that are still around, don't you? The yes people. Yeah. Um, and you talked about personal relationships. Um, how how did you find your way through that difficulty in trusting people to actually meet people who became important in your life? Because those of us, you know, who aren't famous footballers or whatever, it's hard enough for us as it is, I think, to, to work out who's right for you and who's not right for you. It, it must be incredibly difficult to find your way through that trust boundary. Um, yeah, it, it, it's been like a minefield, if I'm honest, and I've been blew up quite a few, <laughs> few times. But um, no, coming now that I've retired, like a lot of friends have come back out of, come back around that maybe I haven't spoke to for like five or six years. And now where it's like them five years that we didn't speak, didn't exist. So you kind of know who's who now, which which is which is nice, really. But um it comes with it, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Unless unless you're married and settled down before it all hits, then the chances are you never really know. No, because people are looking to take advantage of your situation, presumably. Um, I wouldn't say always is take advantage, but at the same time, they can live a comfortable life as well. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I mean, Off you mentioned it being it. a minefield. What kind of what was your what kind of things are you talking about instinctively about that? Like, do you, I mean, for instance, we've had a lot of guests on here who've talked about how the pre the press have lied, just just written lies in the papers about them. Is that something you've experienced a lot? And how do you deal with that stuff? Um, when it has come out, it's only lasted twenty four hours. Right. When the papers were around, nobody really messed with social media. Yeah. So it wouldn't just be there for like years in papers it print two days later it's gone so just like it's in a paper yeah so what 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 makes you think is true right oh because you ain't soon and why am i going to go through losses if they want to print something that's not true and is, is this in them. your head is this stuff like about your you know are, are you talking about stuff that's like potentially you know transfers or are you talking about like your personal life and scandal type stuff um both really just right. in general i just i wasn't somebody that actually read the papers because of the same reasons you're saying like a lot of it was fabricated it there was never the whole truth in there it was always one side of the story so i just never really paid any attention to it and today i still don't read the paper um but like say everything's social media now so you can't really yeah. <laughs> escape from it but um yeah, you, you live and you learn, basically. Yeah. So we do some um, kind of quick-fire questions to everyone that we have uh, on our second series. I wonder what um, what's the best thing about being famous, if you can think of, like, the first thing that comes to your head. Um, well, I like to dance. Okay. So the fact that I can just sometimes show up at a door and they just let me in without queuing, I feel like yeah. it, it is a bit awkward, but... That has its benefits, <laughs> <laughs> but that must there must be a flip side to that as well, though. Is that you're you know you love to dance, you want to go and be able to be yourself and dance, whatever. But are you not always worried that people are going to be on their camera phones and stuff like that? Um, now that I've retired, I could care less. <laughs> to be honest with you. <laughs> okay, and what's the worst thing about being famous? Um, your private life is never your own. Okay, um, I'm a very private guy, but. Like, for example, I might have friends that are female. If I go out with them, people think that it's my girlfriend or something's going on and mm -hmm. try to take pictures. It's happened before and I'm like, you don't know her story. She might be in a relationship and you're trying to print something that could ruin her life, mm -hmm. which has nothing to do with what you're thinking it has to do with. But yeah, I feel the thing, biggest thing for me is your private life. And uh, are there, have there been genuine examples of that from down the years where you know it's really affected your friendships and your and your personal relationships and stuff like that to the point where you would have you ever thought god i'd rather i'd actually rather not be a footballer than have to deal with some of this shit that's flying my way um i've had i have had person personal experiences but the only thing i've wished for is that i could i was as good as i was playing football but could it come without all the private invasions yeah I've always just wondered if it was ever possible. Obviously, it's not. But um, like I said to you, if I wasn't getting the attention I was getting, then I would have either been a crap player or somebody that somebody didn't like. So I can't yeah. have my cake and eat it. It's so. a real matter of like taking the rough with the smooth, isn't it? And you've talked about um, how things have changed a bit since 
retiring and obviously you've moved to America, so you're getting less kind of personal attention. Is there any part of you that because you're getting less of that attention since retiring, that misses the kind of weekly affirmation that you get from 50,000 people, you know, not just on the pitch, but also like the enjoyment of being in the public eye all the time, or you just, you're just done with that? Um, I definitely miss the playing in the stadiums with the fans, either singing abuse or singing for you. <laughs> but um... Did the abuse drive you on if people were abusing you? Um, yeah, I actually used to laugh at it, to be honest with you. It was quite funny. But um, yeah, it always it always pushed me to want to score just to silence it all yeah. from the abuse side of thing. But from the positive side of the fans, it always gave you that extra lung where if you needed to make a, a either a defensive or attacking run late in a game, you could somehow get it out. Yeah. I think that's something that fans don't really understand a lot is... So especially at Spurs at the moment, because we're not having a great season, but we've got this magnificent new stadium. So all of the like the tuts and the groans are doubly as loud as they ever were at the White Hart Lane. Yeah. And it's like, if maybe, you know, fans could understand on a personal level how it feels for a player if they just get behind you, even if things aren't going that well, then it, um, it really it, it add does, to it. It, it, does, it does help a lot as a player. Like, if your fans are like against you, then... You, some people tend to like you'll make one mistake and then without realizing another one will happen mm. but it's only affecting the team so yeah. when I was at City I wouldn't say no matter what I did wrong but because I always gave 110% if something didn't happen when I was trying to do things in a positive way the next time I get the ball they would cheer for me to do the exact same thing again yeah. and hopefully succeed you know what I mean so yeah. Fans play a bigger part to a team's performance than I think they realise. Yeah, amazing. Um, I'd say that your dad was uh, underused by England. He didn't play as much as he probably should have done. I wonder how you um, look on your England career as well. Is it are you? Is it something that you think you were, or do you think you weren't given enough of a chance playing for England? Um, I, I wouldn't say I wasn't given enough of the chance. I would say at the time that. I broke into England. I had the likes of David Beckham in front of me. Do you know what I mean? So he was pulling everything out. He was showing, he was scoring free kicks. He was assisting, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And at the time I was 20, 21, and he was still playing well and doing crucial things in big and big important moments. So I feel like my situation was was all to do with like timing. Yeah. And how does it feel? Because obviously no one listening will ever, or not, I doubt anyone listening will ever understand this. How does it feel pulling on an England shirt, getting to play and knowing that pretty much everyone in the country is watching? Is it? Is it? I mean, you've talked already about being able to push that pressure aside of things. Is that an added pressure? Was that as easy to be laid back about as the rest? Um, yeah, but the way I handled it was weird. Like when I got the call up, um, I think the first, yeah, the first one was against Ukraine mm -hmm. at St James's Park. Um, I kind of laughed. Um, it was more of like a nervous, happy laugh, and uh, I can't believe it. Sort of laugh, sort of thing. That well, like all my life, I've been striving to possibly represent the club, and now I got it. So when I was in a change room, obviously I was, I was a bit nervous. But um, once I came on sub and I went on the run, that led to the goal. It kind of, yeah, everything kind of, it kind that kind of made that challenge a bit easier. The nerves were no longer there. It was just all like I can't wait to put the shirt back on again. Made Excitement. you feel like you belonged. Yeah, one hundred percent. And uh, how hard is it? I guess then before that moment when you you know you join up with an England squad and you don't you know, there might be some people you play with, but in general, you don't know a lot of these people. Is it like being back at school and like feeling like you have to try and impress, but also not piss anyone off with by saying um, the wrong thing? No, not really. I feel like, um, especially when I was there, I feel like we all knew what each other's capabilities were and we tried to play towards each other's mm -hmm. capabilities. Um, we've always taught that football is a universal language, so... Once you meet, once whoever turned up first would be at the dinner table or lunch area, and whoever comes in, you would naturally just walk, shake hands, say hi, and that is kind of like the icebreaker. Yeah. And then once you're on the pitch, whether you're in the same team or not, it just works. Okay. And uh, just before I end this off, the most important question, without a doubt, did you ever have a chance to play for Spurs? 
Yes. Tell me about it, please. <laughs> tell me. I would have loved to see you um, running down the was, wing at Spurs. Sure. It was, I think, if I remember rightly, it was before I went back to Manchester City. Okay, so after Chelsea. But, um, yeah, but I had already made a promise to the City fans that before I retired, I would always come back okay. to Manchester City. So that chance came up a bit earlier than I expected, but I just jumped at it. Yeah, but look, Jose Mourinho swore to the Chelsea fans that he'd never managed Spurs and look where he is now. So, Sean, you're just too nice a guy. <laughs> it looks you that sh- way. <laughs> you should have you should have come to Spurs. Sean, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. You've been a really great guest. Um, I kind of, I actually hope that one day we might be able to complete the circle and get your dad on as well. That would be super cool. Um, so do definitely tell him about it. Um, what are you up? Just tell us before, like, so what are you up to out in Arizona? You're doing some kind of broadcasting stuff over here as well. Where can people um, see you? I do a a bit with obviously BBC and Sky lately. And do you, do you enjoy that? Do you enjoy getting into the broadcasting side of it? Yeah, yeah, it's a hard one. As a footballer, it's hard to just talk about it and not play mm. the game. But um, I am getting used to the change. Is um, it is it hard to you know? Because presumably, when you were playing, hearing ex footballers slag you off must be difficult. Is it hard to then go the other side and say, and you know, slagging you off is strong, but just like. Um, picking apart people's games is that something you find difficult um yeah i would say to a degree to a point i do because i know there's been times in my games where i've possibly done the same things you know what i mean yeah, so yeah. if i'm gonna pick somebody apart it's not yeah. with the basis oh that was crap it was to the basis of trust me i've been there and i know what you most probably was thinking at the time sort of thing so i'm trying to balance it out right because i there's you you have to be good to play in the Premier League period, but everybody makes mistakes at the same time. Yeah, there's a brilliant show called Gary Neville's Soccer Box, which is on Sky, where Gary Neville will sit with an ex-player and go through old clips of them often playing against each other. And some of the best bits on it are, obviously, Gary Neville's a brilliant, one of the best pundits. But when he watches things that he did back when he was playing, it's like, why did I make that pass? What are you doing? Yeah. But every week you see him going, how can that player do that? And that's you've just exactly described how that is. In, in reality, we all make mistakes no matter what we're doing but also look upon other people doing it. it's like how can you make that mistake yeah it's completely exactly mad. Uh, Sean once again thank you so much for coming on guys uh, please do press the subscribe button on uh, Apple Podcasts do leave us a rating and a comment if you could that would be really helpful also find us on Instagram at Almost Famous the Podcast and on Twitter at Pod Almost Famous and until next time thanks again for listening thanks again thank you Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.